This message was recorded at Devoted, a Christ Central Festival for all the family. To find out more about Devoted, please visit devotedevent.org. So welcome to Taste of the Nations. Apologies that I was unable to be here yesterday. I was in a different one yesterday. Um, We're here today. I'm told that yesterday was amazing, fantastic, brilliant. Well, that's Lee's assessment anyway. Um, So I'm kind of hoping you all all agree with him. I'm sure he was fantastic. And uh, he was amazing last night as well. So today is going to be slightly different. Today... Tony and Val are with us from Lusaka, and Tony is wearing a, a wonderful shirt. So I've got to know Tony a little bit over the last couple of years, and uh, he's become uh, a good friend to us, or a good friend to me, I feel. I only met Val this week, but I'm sure Val's amazing. She, uh, she, after all, she has to put up with Tony. So. so they're going to entertain you and inform you and talk to you about what life's been like moving from Devon to Lusaka. So... I'm going to say nothing else. I'm going to let them talk. Before we finish, we're going to be interviewing um, some some young guys about Go Zambia. So we're going to have some interviews before we finish. So we'll get to that later. Hi, everybody. I'm Val, obviously. You'd probably work that out. He's Tony. Um, (laughs) I just wondered, if you're towards the back, would you mind moving forward? I just feel there's a bit of a a gap. Yeah. I'm a teacher, and I do like to have my class quite close, <laughs> if that's possible. I don't want to get into any classroom management issues, so if you're close, it, it works better. Thanks. <laughs> I've never thrown chalk in my life. <laughs> and also, you may see there's some people who are chewing wildly. That's because I offered biltong around, which is some dried meat. So if I'll spot the ones that are still chewing, okay, it's okay. (laughs) And if you want to help yourself, there's sweets or the dried meat over there. Okay, so just a little bit of background about us both first. Um, We've been married, I think, 33 years, and we have four grown-up children, three of whom are married. Um, There they are in all their glory. Um, And we have three grandchildren who are of course the most beautiful grandchildren in the world nobody here has grandchildren I did want to spend the rest of the time showing you pictures of my grandchildren but Tony said it wasn't appropriate boring (laughs) but they're gorgeous um now I was actually born in Zambia um but we left there when I was four and came back to the UK and to be honest I never thought I'd ever go back again I had no plans Zambia was my parents story Uh, Nothing to do with me. I just remember little bits and bobs. Um, God had other plans, obviously. I met Tony at university, um, and we got married when we were, I don't know, 23, something like that. Had our first son at 25, and then other children followed subsequently quite quickly. And then we waited a few years, and then when our youngest was about 10, God told us very, very clearly to adopt And we adopted a little boy who was seven years old at the time. Um, He is, yeah, slightly different color hair coloring to us. (laughs) Um, He's given us great joy, but also great challenges and still continues to do that, I have to say. 
Um, so there was us, our four children, our dog living in Devon. Life was chugging along very happily, thank you. Um, we were busy in the church serving. I was with worship and with children's work. Tony was mainly in the admin. Um, we were members of the community, having a great time. And then... It was a, a grey and rainy February afternoon and I looked out the window about 15 years ago and I thought there's got to be more to life than this. <clears throat> and uh, um, the job that I had was, was growing in one direction and I was growing in the, another direction. The job that I'd loved for 10 years was becoming uh, more and more stressful to me. And... Uh, church was going through a difficult time we just adopted Titch, our youngest and so life was a bit pressurised and it didn't feel like it was going too well and it wasn't I didn't feel it was a great time in my life to be hearing from God but through the um, through all the chaos of our lives at that point in time uh, God did speak and God spoke to me about uh, selling my business, I had an insurance franchise and I sold it back to the insurance company. It was a long and slow process. And so I sold it, or started to sell it, um, with no idea of what I was going to do next. God spoke to me about going like Abraham, and uh, it was to do something new. So I was thinking about what to do next. And I was speaking to my friend John, and he said to me, Tony, you've always spoken about your you're about Africa and about running business in Africa and using business to, uh, to alleviate poverty. And uh, why, why don't you go to Africa? And I, I looked at him and said, John, I've got four, uh, three teenage kids, one at primary school. This isn't a good time to be moving my family. That's crazy. Well, God had spoken to me. He'd spoken to me previously, and I'd been pushing doors for about 20 years, and no door seemed to come up open, no opportunity seemed to appear, and I, but God had spoken to me. And, and uh, over, God was watering a, a, a seed that he put in, in my life, and it began to grow. And uh, rather miraculously, I got back in touch with some old friends who, who um, had actually moved to Zambia, and had started a, a Bible college. And one day, Val said to me, uh, why, why don't you just buy a ticket and go and visit Richard and Janet? I don't know what I was thinking. I thought, I think, that Tony would go for three weeks or whatever he went uh, to holiday in Zambia. He'd come back, and then we could carry on with our lives. Thank you very much. I'm not going to say much more to Tony for the rest of my life. Um, Well, we, uh, around this time, uh, our church merged with the community church in Honiton. And the the new leader, or the leader of the church that we joined, uh, got to know me and he recognized my faith. And like every other leader that I, church leader that I worked with over the previous 20 years, he had not a clue what to do with it. And, uh, which meant I didn't know what to do with it and neither did he. So that didn't seem very helpful. And then uh, another person, a man called Andy Cottingham, joined the team. And the second sermon that he preached, he preached about his love for the church, 
his love for Africa and his interest in business. And I thought, well, that man is talking my language. It's the first time I've heard a preacher stand up and preach the, <clears throat> preach the vision of my life. I need to get to know him. Well, out of, uh, out of that, we then, uh, a, a few months later, Grant said to me, well, I'm wondering about coming with you to Africa uh, for a pastoral visit. What we could do is we could link up with what New Frontiers is doing in Africa. And, and that just blew my mind away. The fact that the pastor of the church would give three weeks of his summer holiday to come and explore our vision in Africa. And so he did, and that was the beginning of a, of a continuing relationship with the church in Honiton. <clears throat> so I was on the plane, or I was thinking about going to Africa, and, and I remember sitting on the plane and, and thinking about the things that I felt God had spoken to me. And I'd never been to Zambia before, um, and I'd only been to Africa once before. And God had given me um, visions for for planting a or for for establishing a, a service rental business. Um, I had a dream of living in the bush with wild animals, and uh, I had a had a desire to start a business that would help poor people and give them another route out of poverty. Um, but I always think when you, when you hear from God, it's a good idea to hold those things lightly at the early stages. Is it me? Is it God? I, I don't know. So when I arrived in, in Lusaka, uh, Richard and Janet gave me a warm welcome, were really helpful in introducing me to people in the city. And everybody that I had the opportunity to, I, I told them my idea of using business to alleviate poverty. And so what do you think are the opportunities here? And every idea that anybody gave me, I wrote down. When I came back to the UK, I had a list of over 20 different things that I could do. And I considered them all, and I prayed about them, and I gradually crossed things off the list. And I I basically crossed them off because I didn't have the right skills. It was something that that maybe is a good idea, but I didn't have a passion for. One or two things I didn't really, you know, I didn't really believe in. And so I gradually crossed them off the list, prayerfully crossed them off the list. And at the end, I was left with two things. I was left with, um, with service departments, um, and I was also left with uh, a business for the poor, uh, particularly working with eggs and poultry and trading. And, trading. and so, um, uh, about a year later, I started to commute from Devon to Lusaka. The family stayed in Devon, and I started to work in Lusaka. And I turned up, and I, I looked for a piece of land. Now, this piece of land... Uh, I, I wanted there to be a, a, piece of, a piece of land that I could build something to, a, to the, a decent standard, which is a challenge in Africa. I wanted to build it to a decent standard. I wanted it to be in the smart part of town, and I wanted it to have tarmac outside. Now, if, you, <laughs> if, you've, been, if you've been to Lusaka recently, you'd, one, you'd think, well, that's not too difficult. But there's been massive road development over the last 10 years. So 10 years ago, in a city of a million people, there were, there were only five decent roads. Um, and, and that was north, south, east and west and Leopards Hill Road. And so we bought a piece of land on Leopards Hill Road. And this is the piece of land that we bought. And if I had a dollar for every time somebody said, how did you manage to get this piece of land 
in this location, uh, then the current pressures I have with the bank would be history. And so with, with no property development experience, um, we went, we went in, a, in three stages over four years. We built, we built uh, 25 service departments. Now, faith is a gift. And uh, the gift of faith is not, in, in, as it works out in practice, is not just one gift. It's a gift. Uh, I think God gives us specific faith for specific things. And so although I worked in financial services and I had many clients and colleagues who built up pro- property portfolios and I helped people to arrange finance for that, I never had confidence in the British property market, which you can see is ill-placed because it's done very well in the last 20 years. But that's just the reality. I didn't have faith. And the big ex- extent of my faith was I bought a family home with a granny annex on. And then God gave me faith to go to the heart of Africa, to build, having never done property development before, to build and borrow a large amount of money eventually, and uh, to build 25 apartments. And this is a picture of the, of the first phase. So we've got, we've got 25 of those. Um, and I just give glory to God that he gives us faith. Um, <clears throat> We could, we could talk all this session and, and more about God's, about the trials and the challenges of living. And we, we could also uh, spend a long time talking about God's blessing and God's answers. So we will allude to a few along the way. But rather than tell you a few stories, I thought what we could do is if you hear us allude to something or you've just got a question about some other trials, then just ask us at the end and we'll expand on it in the question time. But perhaps the most enduring one is um, uh, we built in three phases. So the first one, I used my, my own money, uh, or our own money, our own money uh, from selling the business and from mortgaging our house in the UK. And so we mortgaged it as high as we could get it in the UK before we left and stopped having a British income. And uh, we had enough money to build phase, to build phase one. And, and then if there was no cost overrun and I hadn't forgotten anything, then in theory we could build phase two, but we couldn't put anything inside it. We couldn't afford any furniture. Well, no great surprise. Um, I hadn't thought of everything and people had forgotten to advise me on some quite important things that cost quite a lot of money. And so we could build phase one, but we we couldn't build phase two. And... um, my parents wanted to come and visit. So my parents came to visit. My mother was keen for some son, and my father just agreed to come along. And so they came and visited for five days. And my father, I'd asked my father, so when you, when you come, as I was commuting, so could you stop on a bit and help supervise for another couple of weeks and then go home? So I thought it was like a two-week favor that I was asking of him. Well, he got there, and he looked at what I, I was doing, and he had massive construction experience from Nepal, I looked at what I was doing, and he realized much sooner than I did that I was in over my head. And uh, he started asking questions. So my mum lay in the sun, and my dad was tapping away on his computer whilst I was supposed to be on holiday, which was typical of him. And uh, he then started to, to help me 
uh, during the latter years of his life to, to finish the construction. And that was part of God's provision. I had no anticipation that he was going to do it. It's not like, oh, well, you know, you've always worked together. We'd never worked together. Um, I never imagined we wanted to work together. Um, but God had other plans, and it was a wonderful... He's died now. It was a wonderful uh, final chapter of his life. Um, and so then they offered a family loan to finish phase two. Um, and, and then he persuaded me to borrow money from the bank. I was going to build it in phases, but he said, why don't you go to the bank, just finish this job off. So um, we borrowed from the bank. And again, people looked at me. I have, I've got a big loan, and um, uh, just to put a number, at its peak, it was $2 million. So I had planned to do just I hadn't planned to do that. Um, and God has been faithful, and we've managed to get the loan down to about half a million dollars, and now the, the heat is coming up uh, because the market has developed. So you, you, I could be very spiritual and say, I've had massive influence on the service departments in Lusaka, which actually is true, um, quietly, uh, because we did, a, we did a market survey. I hadn't realized how much competition we had. We, when we started with two, and now there's ten of us chasing more or less the same amount of business, so we're spreading it thinner and, and life is, is tougher. And I remember walking around, and, and Zambians, quite a few of the people that have done it are Zambians, but there's other nationalities as well. Zambians concrete up to the edge of their properties. They don't have gardens, and the reason is to keep the snakes away. And, and yet all the service departments have got gardens outside. They've even, they've even copied the, the actual type of plant. So I went out, it's like, we've got five plants outside ours, and they've got four, and look, four of them are the same as the five. So they've literally duplicated what we've done. And so that's, that's part of the challenge. But um, through it all... Um, we, we basically pay about uh, £12,000 £12, a month back to, to the loan, back in loans. And we live on, the, we draw out of the business about, about 15000 a year, British minimum wage. So you can see that we've got massive, actually a good income, <laughs> uh, because I'm sure you'd all be happy to live on 12000 a month. Um, but it all goes to the bank. And then there's just a little bit left over. Now, sometimes that's been really good, and we've had a lot of money in the bank, but then something seems to have cropped up and taken that money away. And so we've very rarely been able to take extra money out of the business. And we, we can testify to God's faithfulness. As the things have gone up and down, when it's up, something happens and it goes away. When it's down, something happens, and we just hang on by the skin of our teeth. And back's against the wall again, and... Uh, God is again testing our faith, and I don't know what the answer is, um, but I do believe that God has got an answer to the challenges that we face. Now, in James 4, it says this. Now, listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on in business and make money. Verse 15, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Verse 17, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do, and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now that's a pretty, a pretty uh, harsh warning, or severe warning. If God calls you to do something and you don't do it, then it's sin. But this is a, con- a di- conference called Devoted, and I believe that you are devoted people here. And so I'm sure you're the kind of people that hear these warnings 
and heed these warnings and put them into practice. So let's flip it round. If God calls you to do something and you listen to what God says and you obey, then God is delighted with you. And so if God is calling you to move to Milton Keynes and to take a particular job, whether it's a, it's a promotion or it's a sideways move or even a, a, a downward move from a career point of view, but God's call, called you for other reasons, then do it and God will be delighted in your action. Um, faith is a gift from God, as I've said before, but it shows up in action. But my observation and my experience of uh, taking steps of faith is that in practice, it shows up in two different ways. Uh, The first one are people who are given faith and they're brave. And uh, the other people are given faith and they're courageous. So a few people will know the difference between bravery and courage. But in case you don't, let me explain. This is my understanding of the difference. Brave people are the kind of people that see a risk, a challenge, a step of faith, and they just go for it. Um, Building these apartments, I'd say God made me brave. I went for it, and although there were moments of nervousness, and there are still moments of nervousness, basically God has given me faith and confidence to go for it. And then there are people who are courageous. And they are the kind of people that God, uh, that God speaks to, and they look at all the problems, and they're terrified, but they do it anyway. And I'd now like to hand over to Val. She is very brave when it comes to family, but when it comes to Africa, Val is hugely, hugely courageous. What you're saying is I'm a scaredy cat. <laughs> um, so as you've probably worked out by now, Tony is um, a businessman and he's also an adventurer. Um, the thing is, I'm not a businesswoman and I would call myself a very reluctant adventurer. Um, to be honest, if I, if I had my own heart's will, I would be sitting in Devon still. Um, but it's so much better to do what God wants rather than what you want. Uh, and I'm finding that out as tough as it is. <laughs> um, and there may be some of you sitting here today, like I was nine, ten years ago, thinking, well, how am I going to fit into this picture? How am I going to either fit into what my husband or wife is, is feeling God is saying, or if you're a single person thinking, God's telling me to do something, but how on earth am I going to fit my gifts and my skills into this picture? Um, and that's where I was thinking, yeah, but what about me? <laughs> so 12 years ago, I was, um, no, 10 years ago, I was an infant school teacher in Devon. I'd had that job for 12 years, and I absolutely loved it. It was just the perfect job for me. I loved the children. Although we lived in Devon, we worked in quite a deprived area, and they're the sort of children I particularly warmed to. Um, and I loved working with my colleagues. I loved everything about it. So although God had clearly told us to move to Zambia, it jolly well was hard, you know. It was tough to leave that job. It was tough to leave my community and my friends. Sorry, I also cry a lot. (laughs) It was tough to leave family. Um, 
But at the same time, you know, God wants you to do it. So that's the thing you want to do. Um, but it's okay to have all those feelings of, yeah, but I'm scared. And what am I going to do? So um, my plan when we got there was to give myself three months to sit in the corner with a thumb in my mouth, actually. <laughs> but just to wait and see what God had in store for me. But um, God knew better. And literally, we were invited some, to some friends for a dinner party within about, I think, two weeks, three weeks. Um, and a job landed in my lap. <laughs> um, pretty much by the end of the dinner party, I had a job. <laughs> and it was perfect. It, it gave me friends. It gave me a purpose. And it gave us an income, which at that point was very important. So, um, you know, I didn't do anything. It just landed so thank you god um after about six years of doing that job which i enjoyed i realized actually now i had the confidence to do more and i i felt ready to give back to zambia more than what i was doing um and i've developed my own project called the reading box which aims to teach people how to teach reading so i'm training people to teach how to read. Literacy levels in Zambia are very, very low. People say different things, but I would say it's about 40% maybe of literacy, if you're thinking about the rural areas as well. Um, and as you know, reading is a life skill. It's, it's, it's something that's a gateway skill to um, improve life. So I feel very passionately that children should be given the opportunity to learn how to read. So I'm teaching um, or training anybody, really, that will listen um, in how to teach reading. I've developed a training course, and I'm teaching it in, um, well, I've done it in community centers. Um, I don't know if you can see. I'm in the way now. Sorry. Community centers. Uh, and the lights go down. Yeah, they'll find a way. I mean, it's tricky with black children. <laughs> you can't see them. Um, anyway, so I've delivered in, in um, poor schools, in more affluent schools, in community centres, in orphanages, pretty much anywhere, anyone that's interested. Um, and I'm loving it, you know. I'm really feeling... Tony says when I come back from a training session, he can tell I'm buzzing, you know. I never thought that I would enjoy teaching adults because I've always taught children... But actually, they're great. And to see them, the lights come on in their head when they realize that actually they can teach reading and that there's a, there's a process that you go through and it works, it's amazing. Okay, so I really, really enjoyed that. Um, now, for the last 18 months or so, I've been pretty much in the UK, which wasn't part of our plan. Um, but for family reasons, I've come back um, to help with some stuff here. And once again, God has been so gracious to me. It costs money to live in this country. And um, I was considering Tesco's and um, all sorts of other things to, to find myself a job. Um, I met an ex-colleague from Zambia. And within, again, about 10 minutes, I had a job. <laughs> Which has just been so perfect for my skills, for the time I have available um, it's given us an income, and also it's going to be portable when I go back to Zambia. So it's something I can do alongside the reading box. Um, I just want to say thank you 
because he's so good. He's so, so perfect for what you need. You know, we all worry and we all stress and we all try and plan things and we all try and work things out. But actually, God can just, ta-da, <laughs> there you go. That's what you need. So, if you're a woman or a man who's um, not business-minded and you're going somewhere and you're thinking, how am I going to be used here? My advice is don't panic. <laughs> God has it in hand. Um, uh, keep asking him to show you the way. Keep asking him um, one step at a time. Now, that's important, particularly for me, because I'm a great one to think ahead and try and think of all the options and all the things that might possibly go wrong and how I'm going to put them all right. But God's been training me so much these last few years in one day at a time, Val. That's all you need to worry about. So I've been doing that. Um, I'm a very slow learner, but I'm getting there. Um, so it requires a lot of faith, a lot of action, and lots of deep, deep breaths. As my daughter says to me, Mum, put on your big girl pants. <laughs> and I have certainly been wearing some big girl pants this last few years. Um, sorry for all you blokes, that's a bit yucky, but anyway. Um, and actually right now, things are tough for me, uh, well for us, but particularly for me. The last three years have been very, very difficult for f- personal family reasons. Um, but I know that that God doesn't change what God has promised me. You know, stuff doesn't look great on paper, but God is still with me. And when God asked us to move to Zambia, he gave me a very particular verse, which is Psalm 139, verse 9 to 11. And it's, if I rise on the wings of the dawn, sorry, if I settle, just give me a minute, big girl pants, if I, if I settle on the far side of the sea, If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. Thank you. Oops, that's what I wanted to say. Um, Yeah, so I'll leave it there and then um, Tony's going to finish off and I've got a little bit more to say at the end. Thank you. Um, I'm glad that uh, she managed to get the big girl's pants out. I didn't really want to say that for her, although I did know she'd struggle. Um, So uh, about two or three years ago, the the house that God had given us, we had a long tenancy, and it was coming to an end. And we we realized it was time to move on. And I I wanted to build um, uh, a house. I wanted to buy some land and build a house. And Val wanted simplicity, so she wanted to, to buy a house. But finding houses that are appropriate in Zambia is actually quite hard. And, and they're really expensive. Um, so the, the price of building versus the, the price of buying is a massive profit margin in it, which if you, have to pay, if you get it, that's good news. But if you have to pay it, it's bad news. And so one day Val said to me, uh, uh, why don't we just go out and have a look at what's uh, around in, in, the, in the area? We're not great 
uh, we're not great in the sort of artistic sense, either of us. So it's e- easier for us to go and see it. So, so we, we booked up to go and see a few plots of lands and a few houses, just to see what was out in the market. So we looked at these, these assorted houses and plots of land. and We saw some nice houses, but they weren't houses that particularly gelled with us. And we saw some plots of land, and they were just square, boring plots of land. And as we were coming to the last piece of land, as we, as we drove across the crossroads, I felt God say to me, this is the one. We hadn't seen it. I just felt that's what the Holy Spirit said to me. And the, the, the time we went to look is in October. So this is, um, this is the same sort of area, and you can see that it's brown because it hasn't rained for three months. But it's now not going to rain till October. And we went in October. So the brown turns to grey. So everywhere around was grey. So we came through this unusual entrance. We bumped down the hill through this grey dried bush. And there was a river at the bottom. The river was a stream river. It was still running. And there was a rickety bridge over the river. And as we went over the river, there was the most amazing carpet of green grass. And Val said to me, that looks artificial. Uh, and we continued on our, our trip round with the estate agent, and we looked at the land, and we thought, yeah, this is a nice place. I could imagine living here. Uh, the following Monday afternoon, I, I got in the car with, with uh, one of the leaders of the church, and he was, he was about to get married and move to London. And he said to me, did Val tell you about the dream that I had um, a couple of weeks ago? I said, No. He said, well, I got married to Rachel, and we came back to visit you, and we stayed in your home. And your home had an unusual entrance and a river running through the, through the land and a rickety bridge over the river and artificial grass. And... I remember, I was driving, I remember doing one of those cartoon double takes. I was driving down the road, and I was like, doing this. I'm like, did you really have that dream? And he's like, yeah, I told Val about it. And, and so, um, that is probably uh, one of only three really clear prophetic words that we've had. The other two were about adopting our son. And it proved to be... Uh, vital because we were at a point where we thought we'd sold our business and uh, uh, we, we thought we had no ties to Zambia and because of family pressures we were having the discussion shall we stay or shall we go and I felt this was the writing on the wall uh, the clear word from God that we should, we should stay and as it happens about four times the sale of the business fell through and we didn't, we, God spoke to us and we didn't sell the business. But uh, God provided for us. And this is a practical outworking of what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, uh, starting at verse 29. Truly I tell you, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now, when I told you that story, uh, Abe uh, actually said to me, you lived on a game farm, and 
I took this with my iPhone. I was standing here, and the, and the, the zebra was standing about where Graham is. Um, I took this just out the window. I actually dro- almost drove past them. I went out looking for them, and I couldn't find them, and they were there, and I actually had to not zoom in because they were just like it looks. There's no, no fancy camera on that. And a Martin Charlesworth came to stay with me a while ago, and this was one night on the way home. And then this one I actually took from my bed. I've got a better one. I had to get out of bed for that one. But I took this from my bed about three weeks ago. Our bed, but she wasn't there because she's back here. But... And sometimes even Pumbaa comes to visit us. <clears throat> and there's the home that we've built. So I had a dream to live in the bush and... Uh, God, in his generosity, has fulfilled that dream. Um, it be lovely to live there together. We will do from the new year. Um, but God has fulfilled our dreams. It's a wonderful home, and we've loved uh, building our own home again, having, having rented, and we left our, most of our stuff in the UK. And actually taking it out there and turning it into a home, it's been a joy and a delight to see Val say, oh, it's so good to have our own home again, and putting up, you know, the personal mementos that we built up over the years. It's wonderful. Well, um, I've had a dream. I've had a dream to, to do a business for the poor. Now, my, my naive idea was I would get a, a business going that would support me and my family. I realized if I, if I did a business for poor people... Uh, that in practice the business would have to start off for each individual person that was working would have to be a small job in order to build up the skills. And, uh, and so in order to get an income sufficient to support my family, I would need to have a very big business very quickly. And knowing myself, I realized that probably I didn't have the right kind of skills to build a big business quickly. And so it's better to do something that gave me an income without having to have too many unskilled people in, involved. Um, but the challenges of, uh, of being out there with a family and the challenges of just running the supposedly simple business have left me with not enough time until recently to start a small business. And two years ago, uh, Dr. Joseph Wheeler, uh, our apostle in Zambia, uh, asked me to speak on business. And what, as we discussed it, out of it came... Uh, starting a business with no money. So I've asked in a a few settings, I've asked people um, in Zambia, what's the biggest challenge in starting business? And almost every time, well, actually every time, people say lack of capital. And it's nearly always the top problem. And then I went to Ghana for the first time a couple of weeks ago, and I asked the same question, and it was exactly the same answer, lack of capital. They don't say not enough money. People just say lack of capital. That's what they say. And so I thought, well, why don't I start a business with no money? So, so uh, th- two years ago, I took my wallet out of my uh, hand. I went, we were traveling up to, to uh, the conference at Kitway. And on the way, uh, we stopped off with some friends in a place called Kapiri and Poshi, which is a bit of a one-horse town in the middle of Zambia. And... Uh, I left my friends behind and I went into the town and I said, I've got no money. I 
met people in the town who I didn't know, and I said, I've got no money. I'm looking for a way to earn some money. And so I, I went up to these sleepy storeholders in this sleepy town and said, can I have some work? And they said, uh, Buana, I haven't got enough work for me. How can I employ you? And that happened several times, and it was pretty discouraging. And, and as you hear this story, that was the toughest day. It really was. It was hard and um, humbling. So I stood there and I thought, well, there isn't a lot going on in this town, and people haven't got enough work. You can see that people haven't got enough work, although they're trying to make a living and probably succeeding. Um, uh, so I thought about it. Where is the action in this town? Then I remembered at the far end of the town, there was a waybridge and a bit of bit going on. And every vehicle that goes through the centre of Zambia, there's, a, there's only one way of getting through that part of Zambia. So if you go from one end to the other, you have to go through this junction. And so they've got a waybridge there to check the lorries are not overloaded. So every, every single truck that goes through there and every bus has to be weighed. So I went up there, and sure enough, there were people there selling snacks at the side of the road. So I went up to these ladies, and I, I pulled out my tail of, well, I've got no money, and I need to earn, I need to earn something. And they, they said to me, uh, they, they fell about laughing. <laughs> They just fell out. What's this old white guy doing with no money asking us for a job? Anyway, um, I sort of persisted. And then I realized that one of the ladies was like the, the supervisor and the manager of the, the girls that were working there. And so I asked her directly. I said, could I sell some of your apples and you pay me for selling your apples? And she just said no. It's just like no. There was no hint. There was no room. And we finally, one of the young ladies said to me, come, let's go. So with no, no negotiation, further negotiation, uh, she said that I could work for her. And in typical Zambian way, I started the work with no idea how I was going to, what I was going to get paid. So I spotted the fact that everyone was selling on one side of the road to all the buses that came past, but the other side of the road, where the trucks were going into the Weybridge, nobody was working. So I spotted a gap in the market. So I went there, and I, and I started to sell these apples. I have got some sales experience. So I went and started selling apples at the side of the road. At the end of the day, um, uh, we walked back across the road, and I said, what are you going to pay me? And so she said, uh, is, uh, I'll pay you a pound. So I earned about a pound for a day's work. So on my way back uh, to where I was staying, I bought some eggs. And the next day, I, went, I bought those eggs. I went out and I sold those eggs. And when the eggs are gone, I went back to my new boss and said, can I work on commission? I negotiated a high rate, or a firmer rate of commission. And, uh, and she paid me on commission to sell the apples. At the end of the day, I built it up to £3. Then we moved to Kitway. And I started to, to work in, in Kitway. So I went out again, uh, bought some more eggs, bought some bananas with what I got left over. And then I sold those. I worked hard that day. And I managed to uh, get my capital up to about £12. So in three days, I earned double the national minimum wage. That, that's a Zambian story, not a British one. Double the national minimum wage in three days from a zero start. So it can be done. Then I went to Ghana, and I was asked to speak on the same topic. So uh, I flew a very long route to get there. And by the time I got there, I was completely dog-tired. So I went in, said about the shortest polite hello you can ever say, and went straight to bed because I was completely knackered. And um, 
slept, got up the next day, and that was the work day. And so I fortunately found somebody that was disappearing off to, to, um, to go shopping. And I went with them, and I, I used some of my £12 to get some bread and some eggs, some mayonnaise, and some cling film to make sandwiches to sell on the streets of Ho in Ghana, which is a small town in Ghana. Um, and uh, I intended to do this on my own, but I was doing this in an African home, and uh, uh, those people came in and joined me, and so uh, um, some people recruited themselves to my business. And uh, so we, together we made the sandwiches. And then uh, the team was becoming rather slow, um, as sometimes ha- happens in Africa, and I was pushing them hard to get them out on the streets before one o'clock so that we could sell these sandwiches at the traffic lights. Anyway, as I started to sell them, I um, discovered people were coming home from lunch, uh, going back to work from lunch, and everybody had had their lunch. And that was the first, uh, first of uh, several mistakes in that uh, in Zambia we have lunch break from 1 to 2, like the UK, but in, Zam- in Ghana they have it from 12 to 1. So they'd finished. Anyway, we then went down to the marketplace, and this is my, this is my sales team. And uh, you can see we're selling, our, um, we're selling our sandwiches. We did have a bit of competition, but they were selling ice creams. And this is the marketplace that we finally ended up with. And the girls worked very hard. Um, and they, I discovered the second thing was that although there are a lot of small bakeries in Ho, unlike Zambia, and a lot of bread is eaten in Ho, they don't eat sandwiches. <laughs> So, in good salesman way, that's both a problem and an opportunity. It's a problem because it's not a ready market, because people are not used to eating sandwiches. They really aren't. And you have to explain what they are, and the girls were very good at doing that. Uh, they weren't very good at getting a good price, but they were very good at giving these long, long stories in the local language, uh, which I didn't understand a single word of. And we succeeded in selling them, but then, uh, like like my kids, when I started getting them started in the workplace, they were like, oh, I've had enough, can we go home? And I'm like, no, we're going to sell these sandwiches. Uh, and I, they said, we've only got three left, so, you know, let's go back to the house. I said, no, no, that's cheating. We're not going to do that. And then we got down to one sandwich. And they're like, oh, please, can we get, oh, we'll buy it, we'll buy it. Like, can we go home? I'm like, no, we're going to sell this sandwich. And eventually we were in this long, long conversation with this guy in a ticket booth. And in the middle he said, I am going to buy your sandwich but we had to finish the negotiations. <laughs> it's called a buying signal. And, uh, and so we, we eventually sold all the sandwiches. And uh, it wasn't as profitable, but I still managed to turn the, the 12 into 15 pounds. That's after I'd, uh, I repaid my capital. I said, we're going to use half this capital to buy it, and then what's left over, we're going to share it out. And that bought me a chocolate bar, my share of the profits. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't great, but it was a start. And my wife will tell you that I have many weaknesses and many faults. But one thing that I can do, I can do well, is I can start businesses. Um, I, I've started businesses in the UK. I've started a, a, a pretty big business in Zambia. And I've started uh, three micro-businesses in, in, uh, um, in three cities in two nations in four working days. So I can do it. But, but my dream and this is really my dream, is to take this £15 worth of capital and grow it into 
a multinational business. Now, I didn't say global business. I haven't got a big, that big a vision. But I want it to be bigger than Zambia. And I want it to give people a route out of poverty. And I can't do it on my own. I'm good at initiating things, but I'm not really that good at managing teams. That's not my forte. And uh, I don't happen to be married to a businesswoman, which is fine. Um, uh, but uh, that means she's not helping me in that respect. And uh, so I need, I need people to come work with me. So if you're... Sorry, let me go back. Um, no, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong screen. Uh, so if you've got a job like sales managers, a junior manager, senior manager, your administrator, even a tax planner and a corporate designer, that's a project rather than a full-time job, and you think, you know, I'm hoping there's one or two people who are going, I've never heard somebody talk about mission for a salesman or a sales manager... Um, or, or a, a corporate planner. But if, you're, if there's somebody here that the, the bells are coming on inside your head, then please, uh, please get in touch. Um, you might be, we want, we're planting a church, we're part of a church, and uh, we'd love some more international people to come and join us. So if you're a school teacher, it's pretty easy to get a job in an international school. Uh, DFID, employ people there if you see a DFID contract or UK aid, then that would be a wonderful way of getting out there and getting paid. Uh, you might even get a job with the EU, though they're probably not recruiting Brits anymore. Um, uh, we did have somebody in the church who was, uh, who was working for the EU, but, but he's gone now, um, probably because he's British. Um, you might be a fellow entrepreneur, and so you want to go and do your own thing, but you're happy to do it in Lusaka. I'd love to hear from you if you're that. You can be a friend, and, and I'll, I'll share with you what I... What I little I know. Um, I was supposed to edit this to see be part of the story, but you know, if you want to be part of the answer in uh, Zambia, then we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we've talked on a bit long, but we've now got time for a few brief questions. But I think Val's got one quick thing to share before we take questions. Yeah. Just, just to finish off, really, um, I've had a, a prayer in the front of my Bible for... I don't know how long, and I don't know where it came from or who gave it to me. But it sort of sums up everything that we've been talking about, really. And, and the prayer is, it just says, Lord, your will, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. And I think if we follow that, we can't really go very far wrong, can we? Thank you. So, questions. Ask any difficult ones to him. All right. Hi there, thanks for your talk, um, and it's, a, uh, it's just brilliant that what you're trying to do with um, um, using business to help alleviate poverty. Um, the question I had, though, is how do you ensure that you do that and not just kind of spread what's already going on into, into other things? So how do you um, get people out of poverty rather than just, yes, they're working for you, but then you've taken market share from someone else, so then there's other people then who aren't earning as much elsewhere? Okay, that's a, that's a good economic question. Um, so basically, if we, all, if we all ended up on a desert island and we all stood there and look, sat there and looked at each other, we would all die. But if we worked harder, we, somebody could be a farmer, somebody could be a fisherman, somebody could um, set up a nursery for the kids. So there's a, a lot of underemployment in Africa. And I would say that is part of the reason, a big part of the reason... Uh, uh, you have to say, why are people not working? That's another question. But there's a lot of people 
who are not working very hard or are working but not very productively. So if we can improve the productivity, then we can lift the whole nation. Um, I think it's fantastic um, and amazing to hear someone talk about business in Africa in that way. How have you sought to build relationships with locals so it doesn't like, so you're not just going over as like, we're here with a solution to poverty, but actually how have you built like relationships? Okay, that's a, that's a good question and uh, very insightful because we haven't got all the answers and we've got lots of things to learn from, from people in Africa and I'm still learning. Um, at a, a shallow level, it's actually very easy to build friendships in Zambia, but to build deep friendships with Africans is pretty tough. Uh, that's been our experience. Um, so through the church and through persistence is how we've tried to build friendships. Uh, a lot of friendships are in, in all over the world, are sort of depending on your context. So I've got some business friends, and Val's got some some teaching friends. Um, do you want to add to that, Val? Um, I think I would agree, you know, that it is hard to to build friendships. I think through the church is the main thing for us. We, we did a church, started a church plant unintentionally, but there we go. Um, and that's been handed on to other people now. But, you know, we they're all local, apart from us. They're all Zambians. Um, so we're very much trying to be part of their culture rather than like you say going in and saying we're here come on we're going to save the world so I think it's that humility of going in and just being you alongside them you know we're all just people <laughs> yeah and I think uh, actually when you when you get to pass the different shirts and different skin color and, and everything else when you you discover that people have actually got largely the same dreams and largely the same challenges that we have it doesn't really it's not really that different because we're all humans we all take we all got family delights and family challenges money challenges you know it's not money just money challenges aren't confined to africa are they <laughs> okay yeah i think we'll you and then one more and then i think we'll hand over um, I guess, could, could you speak a little bit about uh, the challenges of um, having a large family and then uprooting them to Africa? Actually, you were very honest about your preference to, to stay, um, but how that conversation went, or whether you know, it was a long process to sort of tell your family, this is, this is the plan, this is what we're going to do. I'll hand it over to the family expert. Um, well, when we, when we were talking about going to Zambia, our oldest three were all at sort of un university or A-level sort of stage. Um, so they were very much supportive of us wanting to do that, um, as long as it didn't involve them going. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but they were, they were Christians, and they all, like, you, if you feel that's right, then you go for it. Not to say that that hasn't been sacrificed for them. You know, I think all three of the older ones would, completely freely admit that it's hard having mum and dad away um, and probably they would prefer if we were in the UK um, and you know now that we have grandchildren as well you know the, the, the tension between the two continues it's not, it's not easy um, 
I think for our youngest one, he came with us um, for a year. He was 15. Not a great time to move your son, um, especially a son who's been through a lot anyway. Um, And that was a very, 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 very tough year. He stayed for one year and then he came back to college in the UK. Um, And it's a continuing dialogue, I think. I mean, I know for my sister, we'd recently lost my other sister, and for her it was huge that I was leaving, huge. And it caused quite a few issues with the family. She's not a Christian, and it was very, very hard for her. Um, But I think at the end of the day, you, you just have to pray that somehow God will work through that for you. You can't not obey God because he understands all about those things as well Um, I think for my parents, my elderly parents I mean I find it very hard that I'm not there for them, they're they're 90 now (laughs) you know and you know I want to be there for them in their last years Um, and in a way all this trouble we've had with our youngest, me being back in the UK has given me that ability to be there for, for them so somehow God's worked that in as well um, so I, I don't think there's a simple answer. It is hard, um, but just keep talking. I think that's a big thing and, and praying about it. I don't know if that answers your question. Okay, we'll be, it needs to be quick on the last question because we've got some interviews coming. So, Very quickly, um, how, you said um, you're welcoming people to come do business with you and things like that. How easy is it actually to get a, a visa if you're not from an African country? Okay, well, um, there's no straight answer to that. Um, uh, Well, I'm supposed to be able to get two extra visas if people are working with me, but I'm not sure that that would actually work out in practice. Uh, Depends how you come. It's not impossible, but it's not guaranteed. Um, I can't give you a straight answer. It's it's possible, but uh, you have to work your way honestly through the system. It's different to the British system, but um, probably easier, actually. All right. So thank you very much. If anyone's got any more questions... uh, Feel free to come and talk to us afterwards. Or my email address is here if you've got... uh, uh, here. So it's apharwood at gmail.com. So if you fire us an email, we're around for about the next week, then we're offline for September, then we'll be back. So feel free to talk to us. That was amazing and scary. Okay, so we're going to, to interview uh, some people. So guys, would you like to, to come up? Oh, the third member has been found. <laughs> Okay, so we're on a Zambian theme for today. So I don't know how many of you have heard of Go Zambia, which is a a team that we run every year out of Christ Central. And they go to Zambia for two weeks. And these guys have all been on it in various different years. So I have some questions for them. So I'm going to choose on which, which of you I pick. So we want a very brief description of what Go Zambia is. I think Torin can... Um... It's an initiative to send uh, young people out into the 
community and into the culture to experience it. I'm kind of like kind of a taster and to try and get more people to go out and, and visit and be a part of the Christ Central movement out there. And it's, it's really amazing. It gets you right into, you know, the people, and you spend a lot of time just... You know, you're not kind of apart from it. You're directly involved with the church and directly involved with people around you, which is basically the, the best thing about it. Okay. Matt, why did you decide to sign up for GoZambia? This was the hardest question of them all. Um, when I first found out about the GoZambia initiative um, through Dad and Rob Coleman, I was unsure of what to expect to begin with, but I've constantly sought ways to kind of meet new people, go into new cultures and see how God is moving in other places. And it was an amazing opportunity to go and live that with the people there. And so myself and Torin were on the same year together back in 2016. And yeah, we went and we were blown away by the sense of community and by the people that we met there. But we can get into that in the future question, I guess. <laughs> hey, Natalie. So Natalie has just come back, haven't you? Um, what, what would you say... Uh, hit you the most what God's spoken to you the most about what happened um yeah um I just came back um and to be honest, he just like completely confirmed that I have a heart for like Africa um it just changed my perspective on everything um to which now I've like completely dropped what I plan to do um and now I'm literally just like putting God at the front of um every decision I'm making now um yeah I just I got so much out of it just seeing, spending time with the um, kids over there and um, the feeding programs. It definitely like broke my heart for them and just yeah, made me just want to go out and serve them more. So, guys, what would your top top challenge, top highlight of of, of your two weeks? What would they be? top challenge i think would probably be going and seeing the feeding programs because you, it's it's very easy in, in the western culture to just walk by people on the street and it's very easy to kind of just fade it out but when you're surrounded by an entire you know village that is surviving on very little it, it breaks your heart in a way that you don't i wasn't really pushed to tears i was just kind of just shocked and in complete shock for most of it and kind of going this is how you know yet yeah, their kind of their joy in their suffering and and their joy in the fact that they just so much fun even though this might be their only meal of the week is devastating but also kind of uplifting that they are able to be happy and we're kind of worrying about such small things um the biggest highlight would probably be the deliverance meeting that we did which was to do with spiritual warfare which was just a massive outpouring of the holy spirit that i think I think it, for me, it was my first proper experience of the Holy Spirit. I'd had small bits, but this was kind of just a massive outpouring of fire on me. And seeing other people affected just kind of shook my idea of what the Holy Spirit could do. Um, for me, if, if we're talking about like off-the-moment stuff, I think the top challenge was my top highlight. We visited, um, so we went to Joseph's church. We also visited another one whilst we were there. And... I think, as Torin will remember, at the end of the meeting, 
I said to myself, I want to come away with something which I'm going to remember forever from this trip. And there were a large group of children at the back of the meeting. And I was like, oh, what the heck? I got up, went to the back. And then at the end of the meeting, I just invited them all for a dance at the end, which was very scary because if, uh, you know, none of them had said, yes, we'll dance with you, it would have been me on my own dancing at the back. But no, they all joined in in the end. And uh, eventually, some of the other team members decided to join me. Um, after refusing reluctantly at the beginning, I might add. Um, but no, I think, generally speaking, the hardest challenge was, um, was um, your own humility coming into the event. You are immediately surrounded by a culture which is used to having a lot less than you are. Um, and it's difficult to go and to understand... How their, what their lives are like, to be quite honest, because they're quite frankly very different to yours. And it was difficult to kind of be, be um, well, yeah, it was just difficult to witness, I guess. Um, but yeah, so it was, it was beautiful being there, the happiest bunch of people I've ever met. Um, yeah, my top uh, highlight, um, it was quite a few, but um, a bit similar to Matt's, but it was about um, the bonfire night. So um, we had this massive bonfire night with all the um, church youth group and our group decided to kind of throw together this really bad dance routine, <laughs> um, and, um, which we then, um, like our entrance was this dance routine um, and we performed it in front of everyone sat down watching us. Um, it didn't go too bad, but the reaction we got back was kind of like, oh dear, <laughs> um, English people can't dance. <laughs> But, um, yeah, um, and definitely I think the top challenge would have been kind of stepping out and speaking to more people and sharing in assemblies and, um, yeah, definitely. So what, if, if there's someone here or there's someone here knows somebody who's considering going on GoZambio, I guess what would be the one thing that you guys would say to them? Um... I guess kind of go without any expectations because when you go out, they'll just be rocked and you don't really want to go out expecting one thing because that's very much what I kind of went and I expected, oh, I'm I'm not really going to get... It's going to be a bit of fun. It's going to be a bit interesting, but then kind of coming back with a whole new mindset. So don't go out and expect one thing because the likelihood is God will take you in a completely different direction. Bring sunscreen. Lots of sunscreen, preferably factor 50. Uh, but no, generally, um, prepare your, your senses for the culture and the situation and the people that you're going to meet um, because you will not um, be expecting what you see. And coming with an open mindset like that will be the, one of the best ways that you can prepare for your experience. Um, yeah, I think, well, just, just do it. Um, <laughs> it's a really good experience um, and yeah, it really, really strengthens your relationship with Jesus Brilliant, thanks guys let's give these guys a round of applause so for those of you who are interested um, come and talk to me or if you can find Rob Coleman um, who's on the Bolton site so we run Go Zambia every year for two weeks, and we take around uh, six, six or seven, 18 to 22, 23, 24-year-olds. Um, so I think it's pretty much booked up 
for next year, but certainly for um, the following year and years after. Please come and talk to us. If you know someone of that age bracket who wants to go, then this is their opportunity to go for a couple of weeks. Obviously, it costs money, um, but it is an amazing experience. And I know Matt came back and, and just shared his heart with us as to how he how he felt when he came, when he came back. And it just, it's a wonderful opportunity to see a different culture and to meet people. You think these people have nothing and yet they are, their joy is amazing. I think we, we sometimes, we, we have everything in our nation and we're actually, we're rich, aren't we? But the truth is, do we, do we look like we're rich? Often we, we don't because it's easy. And to go somewhere else and appreciate something different is, is an amazing life experience. And I would encourage you, if you've got guys of that sort of age, encourage them to, to go. Encourage them to be part of it. I think also there are, there are lots of opportunities within Christ Central to go to different places. And you'll hear something different tomorrow. Um, some people have gone somewhere for a couple of years rather than a couple of weeks. And I think if, you're, if you've got... If God puts something on your heart, please come and talk to us as a team. Please talk to your church leader. There are opportunities. There are things that we haven't even thought about that God will put on your heart that actually you will hear first. Don't wait for the apostolic team to come up with ideas for you. If you, if you know God's spoken to you, God's put something on your heart, please come and talk to us, talk to your church leader, because God will lead us into things that he's talked to you about that we have no clue about and we haven't even thought about, we're not considering, but you will open up something that God has put on your heart. So that's my encouragement to you. Tomorrow we're going to hear from Josh and the team from Gothenburg, so please come back and join us then, otherwise that's the end of our session today. Thanks for being with us.